I know of a teen from Massachusetts in the Northeast like us, where it's barren in terms of spirituality, in terms of faith in Jesus Christ, who was desperate for a job. And so he searched and searched for a job, couldn't find one. Until his uncle said, I'll give you a job, but you have to come to church with me. So he started working at a shoe store, selling some shoes. And his uncle said, well, since I got you this job, you're going to have to come to church. And so he started coming to church on Sundays, could care less about God. He grew up in the church, and he said, you know what? I will give my life to Jesus the day before I die. But he wanted to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And so he set in his mind that he would live his life the way he wanted, and the day that he was going to die, he would give his life up to God so he could go to heaven. And he just didn't want to go to hell. So this teenager, when he was about 18 years old, he had a Sunday school teacher that would teach every single week. And this Sunday school teacher was so set on this young man. He was so set on persuading this guy to give his life to Jesus that he made him his, his project. And then one day, this guy by the name of, of Edward Kimball was so just driven by the Holy Spirit. They said, I'm going to go visit him at the shoe store. So he left where he was, went and found him, and shared the gospel with this young 18-year-old man. And as he did, he thought he gave the worst gospel presentation he's ever given. And he said, I think I just butchered the gospel. How, I don't think anyone would respond after that. But sure enough, right there in the shoe store, this young 18-year-old man gave his life to Jesus Christ in that shoe store. Well, something changed to this young man. So that now he started inviting people to Sunday school. And as he started inviting people to Sunday school, he made it his mission to invite one person every single day to know Jesus Christ. He said, I don't want to put my head on my pillow before I, I make sure at least one person gets to know Jesus this 18-year-old man would come to be one of the most renowned evangelists of all time, with some people speculating that his life, through his life, he has seen more than one million people come to know Jesus. That young man was D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists of all time. There are some unlikely people that have had radically transformed lives. Paul the Apostle. Who knew that Paul was going to accept the gospel? This man persecuted Christians. He threw them in jail. He stoned them to death. He was one of the people that despised Christians, yet Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus. And Paul had a radically transformed life. There's a woman in this fellowship who came out of a homosexual lifestyle and was one of those people that she just had wanted nothing to do with God or the church, thought that the church hated gays and, and would stay as far, as far away as possible. She was the one that would try to, to just bully other people, put on a tough face, but she stepped into the walls of this church years ago, and my youth pastor, Joey Rosek, spoke to her and sat down with her, and she gave her life to Jesus Christ. 
And now she has her own ministry, and she's going all over the U.S., and God's raised her up to speak that message of Jesus to other people with those same struggles. When I was growing up, I had a really close friend of mine whose dad cheated on his wife multiple times, multiple, multiple times with different women, dealt drugs, did drugs. And once upon a time, this guy gave his life to Jesus Christ, and he was never the same. And now his life is completely transformed. But many of us see a person in our life, and we'd say, well, I've tried, I've thought, I've prayed, and I don't think this person would ever give their life to Jesus. How do you know? How do you know that the person that is in your life that doesn't know Jesus will never come to Christ? Do you have an unsafe family member or friend that you've never invited to church? How do you know that they're not going to come? Maybe you're thinking, well, I, I just, I don't, I don't think they would come if I invited them, and that's why I don't invite them. Well, statistically, most people come to church because of a personal invitation, and seven out of ten unchurched people have never been invited to church in their whole lives. Seven out of ten people never been invited to church. And 82% of the unchurched as, are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. The vast majority of people will be likely to come to church if someone just said, would you go to church with me? That's research done by LifeWay Resources. Charles Spurgeon said, soul winning is the chief business of the Christian. Indeed, it should be the main pursuit of every true believer. It's not just a privilege for some people to engage in and other people are left out. If you haven't yet led one person to Christ... I would say that you're missing out on one of the greatest joys and exciting things that can happen in a person's life. Because what happens is you watch before you a person who you never thought would accept Christ has their life completely transformed and they're willing to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. And the fact that God used you to give that message is this amazing indescribable privilege that I hope all of you get to enjoy at some point in your life. And I don't believe that Jesus just gives that task to some people and not to others. Many of us think, oh, well, I'm not an evangelist. I don't have that gift. How, well, first of all, how do you know? Number two, even if you're not an evangelist, you can still evangelize. Because the, the Great Commission was given to everyone. What is the Great Commission? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples of all the nations. Make sure that you're showing Jesus with your lives and speaking of him wherever you go. Let me ask you a question. If you had a guarantee that the next five people you would talk to, any five people, if you had a guarantee that the next five people you talked to would come to know Christ, would you talk to them? Most of you would say yes, right? What about 15? Jesus says, you know what, next 15 people, you could just kind of be like, give your life to Jesus, just shouting down the street, and that person would say, yes, I will. 15 people, would you do it? 50 people, would you do it? Well, I think what, I think you'd be a fool if you said no, number one, but I think what that shows us is that we often will only act when we see results. We often will only act 
in obedience to Jesus if we see it's actually going to do something. But that's not our job. Our job isn't to make things happen. Our job is to be a vessel, an instrument, a person that God can use to bring about his will. We're not to do anything. Like our, our responsibility is not the outcome. Our responsibility is obedience. I once heard a pastor say. Your job is not to make things happen. Your job is just to be obedient to God. Now, if we only act when we see results, that's fine. But the Bible says, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Blessed are those who act on faith. And secondly, we so often just forget God's faithfulness, don't we? Maybe you have led someone to the Lord. Maybe you have evangelized and saw someone break down in tears because you delivered the message that they needed at, at just the right time. And you forgot. It's the human condition. We have two main problems, I think. Two main problems. Number one, I mean, we have a problem of sin, whatever. Two main problems as a youth culture. We forget everything. If today is a bad day, it's, it's not just been one bad day. Our whole life has been bad. We forget about all the good days. And number two, when we finally make a habit out of anything, then it becomes, we become numb to it. Oh, I'm, make, I'm making a routine to rem remember God's goodness. I'm going to pray every single day. You pray every single day, you get used to it. And then you become numb to it. I'm going to make sure I'm at church every single, every single week. I'm going to worship with all my heart every single week. And then you come every single week, and then you get used to it. So we have two main problems. We forget everything, and then we, we fall into the rut, don't we? It's like God knew that we were going to be forgetful and that we were going to be in a rut. The people of Israel, when they came out of Egypt into the wilderness, they forgot so often. And God says, you need an Ebenezer. Now you need a tradition. You need the Passover. You need uh, to have the Lord's Supper. And every time you guys get together, remember that I'm coming back soon. Remind each other of these things. Think of new ways to excite yourself about Jesus Christ. We need to think about, and we have to be creative about these things. We do it with anything else, don't we? You get bored playing one type of song or one type of style, you change something else. You listen to, to artists and you, you wonder why they changed complete styles after a while. It's because they got used to it. And all the songs they wrote were the same and they have to go in a different direction now. It's one of the paradoxes of human life, I think, is that we just get used to so many things, we become numb to it, and then we question why we do it in the first place. Why do we even come to church? Why do we even bother evangelizing? Why do I even bother praying? It seems like whenever I pray, nothing happens. And well, I know God's sovereign. If God's sovereign, he's going to use someone else to speak. If I, if I know God's sovereign, he's going to use someone else to pray. And God's going to have his will done anyway, so why even bother praying? Well, this is something that Paul saw could be a temptation for the church at Colossus. And so he says... In verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer. Can you say that with me? Continue earnestly in prayer. Continue, how? Earnestly in prayer. Earnestly. The meaning behind this word is great effort steadily applied. 
to be steadfast in what you're doing. Now, if we are being encouraged to continue earnestly in prayer, to be steadfast, to make sure we just keep on going, that means there's a temptation to give up on prayer. There's a temptation in each and every one of us to just one day give up that prayer life that we've once had, to stop praying for that unsaved person in our life, to stop praying that that person in our life that's sick will be healed because we feel like God hasn't answered any of our prayers, really. There's a whole number of reasons why we stop praying, why we give up. Unanswered prayer is one. Because we place our faith not in Jesus Christ, we place our faith in a desired result of prayer. And so if God doesn't give you what you want, then we just stop and say, well, maybe God doesn't really hear me if I've been praying all this time and he hasn't given me what I wanted. Well, that's simply not true. And the more that we realize that prayer is an exercise in the Christian life and not something we base all of our faith in, we don't base all of our relationship, hopes, dreams in the desired result, then things look a little bit differently. When I realize that whether I'm praying that God calls me this place or that place, or I, I pray that God helps me with my test or whatever, if it doesn't happen, I'm not bothered because my faith is placed in Jesus Christ. And I know that he's answered me in the past and I could continue on. Well, we also might give up if we're unsure about why we pray. What's the point of praying if God's sovereign? What's the point of praying if God's going to do whatever he does anyway? Well, we see in Exodus chapter 32, it would seem that some things at least actually do change when we pray. God told Moses, listen, I'm gonna just, these people complain all the time. I'm going to wipe them out, and I'll start with you. It'll be a brand new start. It'll be great. And Moses said, No! Far be it from you, think about what everyone's going to say. That God got angry one day and just wiped everybody out. Think about how the nations will mock your name. Far be it from you to do this kind of a thing. And the Lord relented because of Moses' prayer. James chapter 5 talks about the righteous, effective prayer. The effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, Elijah was a normal man like you and me. He wasn't anything special, but he prayed that it would stop raining and stop raining. He prayed that it would start raining again, and it started raining again. What's the moral of the story? Well, God was going to do it anyway, so since God's sovereign, just pray just because you're supposed to, but it doesn't actually change anything. I think the implication behind what the Scriptures is telling us is that prayer actually changes things. As Jesus said, pray in this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that will right now is being perfectly applied in heaven. We want to see that happen on earth. But because people have free will, there are some people that can resist the will of God. There are some people that can resist change in their life. That's why the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, that all would come to repentance. But some people are not willing that God would use them. Some people are not willing to come to God. And so though God wills for people, desires for people to be saved, not everyone will be saved because of the choice they made. Do you see the same thing as with prayer? We have to be continually steadfast in prayer because it actually changes our circumstances. We're going to see a little bit more about that in a little bit. I know I do that a lot, but there's just so much to say.
We also might not pray because we're unsure how to pray or what to pray for. What do we even pray about? I mean, that's been my week. That's been, like, I've been making a point to pray more and more every single day. And the more I pray, the more I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I really don't. I don't know what to pray for. Because I pray for you guys, and I pray for specific things, and I get used to those things. And then I have to, like, get myself out of that rut and pray for different things. Because otherwise, it just becomes a habit. I become numb to it, and I forget about it. What do we even pray for? How do you even pray? How do you even start? Sometimes you just jump into the requests and it becomes this just baggage. And we're not praying, as it says later on, with thanksgiving. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go to the second part. It says being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Being vigilant. What does that word vigilant mean? It means wakeful, literally, or watchful. The word to be awake when we pray. Some of us pray right before we're going to bed. And he says, be awake when you're praying. Be watchful. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus at the garden came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me? Same word. One hour. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Any of you have your eyes open while you're praying? You know that's not illegal, right? Like sometimes if you're just so tired, it's okay to keep your eyes open. Jesus said it back in the day. That's why he said, watch and pray. Someone says like, your eyes aren't closed, watch and pray. That's not literally what he was talking about, but it's okay to keep your eyes open. It's the position of your heart. The only reason why we close our eyes is to remove the distractions. But if closing your eyes becomes a distraction, keep your eyes open. Watch and pray. Be alert. Be sober. Be wakeful. I think this is... Is, is extremely practical because it's not just talking about like be watchful when you're praying in circumstances, be alert, look at the world. I think he's literally meaning like sometimes you're going to be sleepy when you're, when you're praying and you got to snap out of it. Sometimes you just get in the rut and because of that you just get tired. I think that's what the enemy does. You're either praying without ceasing or you're sleeping. When you're awake, you should always be talking to God. You should always be in conversation with him everywhere you go. And if you're not, you should be sleeping. But he says, stop sleeping. Stop being that guy that has five alarms on and, and just keeps hitting the snooze button. At some point, you got to say, I need to direct my heart towards my heavenly father. Be vigilant in your prayers. Continue. Don't give up on your prayers just because you don't see results. Be vigilant in your prayers. Be awake. Be alert. Think about what you're praying about. Be intentional about what you're praying about because it actually brings results with thanksgiving. In other words, so many times we start with the requests and we need to just thank God. Set our minds on things above, on his glory, his majesty, his holiness, his love. He's the creator of the universe. We're not. We'll let our words be few and we'll set our minds on him. If we are just thankful for what he's given us. That should radically change our prayer. Because now our prayers and our list becomes a lot more small because we realize, oh, God's got it under, under control anyway. How many times do I pray and I've got so much burden, so much things, so many things on my heart, but then I start off with, with thanks. 
And by doing that, I'm like, okay, really not that big of a deal. Then my complaints seem dumb. And even when they're not dumb, even when I'm praying for serious things, I can pray with thanksgiving in advance for what God's going to do. Thank you, Jesus, in advance that I'm going to see thousands of people in my lifetime get saved. Thank you, Jesus, in advance for the work you're going to do. Because I know your heart. I know if people aren't being saved, it's not your fault. It's not because you don't want them to be saved. But perhaps it's my fault because I'm not the one going out there. Praying earnestly, being vigilant, and praying with thanksgiving. There's a parable in Luke 18 with the unjust judge, how Jesus uses it as a parable of prayer. It says this unjust judge was once upon a time rendering an unjust verdict to this woman, and this woman nagged and nagged and whined day and night, day and night, and eventually he's just like, okay, I don't care about God, I don't care about people, but this woman is so annoying, I'm going to give her justice. And God basically says, listen, if a human can be convinced who's unjust, who's evil, does not care about God, can be convinced to give justice to the woman who cries day and night, don't you think your heavenly father who loves you, when you petition him day, night, morning, evening, don't you think he's going to listen? Don't you think he's going to do great and mighty things which you do not know? Don't you think he's going to answer that prayer that you've been holding on to for so long? And you've been losing hope. And God would say to you tonight, continue steadfastly in prayer. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep going. Be vigilant. Be watchful. Pay attention to what you're doing. And thank God in advance because he's going to bring about those prayers to fruition. So he tells us how to pray. Secondly, he tells us what to pray for. We see in the next verse, it says, in verse 3, Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I, I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. There are a lot of really interesting implications in this, these two verses, these couple verses. First of all, what does he say? Where is he? Who knows? Where is Paul right now? According to this verse. He's in chains. He's in prison. What does he pray for? I pray that you would pray for me and that I would get out of prison. No. He says that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. He's praying for opportunities to speak the word that would come out clear while he's in chains, while he's in prison. Now, when it talks about an open door for the word, there's three other times in the New Testament when Paul talks about that. It talks about in Acts chapter 14 that God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, A great and effective door has opened to me. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that a door was opened to me by the Lord. Here is something really interesting. Because what Paul says is that 
Because in other places in, in Scripture, we can see that the door of faith is what he's talking about. He's praying for a door of opportunity for the word of God to go forth in power and to come out clear. You see, we can pray for an open door. As we just talked about, we are to be earnest in our prayers, continuing steadfast, be vigilant, watchful, alert, paying attention with thanksgiving for what God's going to do in advance. Praying for what? Praying for an open door for God to preach his word. You don't see a lot of people in this northeast region coming to church. Statistically. Right now, there are four states that don't have a megachurch in the U.S. And they're all in the northeast. Every single one of them. That's not to say that there's no good churches there, but some of the least churched places in the entire country are in the Northeast. We are an anomaly. You look at our youth group and you're like, oh, we've been shrinking. We're still one of the biggest youth groups in the Northeast. That's crazy. The fact that anyone comes here is a blessing. But do you think God's finished just because he's brought you here? No, God loves everybody and he wants to see every single person come to know Jesus Christ. Because of that, who are we to hog it for ourselves? And to say, well, I'm in, I'm good. No, we should pray for an open door for God's word to go forth, to go forth powerfully, to change people's lives, and that it would be clear. And that's the second thing he prays for. Not only that he would have the opportunity to preach the word while he's in chains. Somebody's like, well, I'm by faith, I know I'm going to keep preaching. Whether it's in prison or it's out of prison, I'm going to preach the gospel. So I'm just praying for an open door. I don't care what it looks like, where it is. I want to preach the gospel. Secondly, when I do preach the gospel, I want it to come out clear. He says that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Which means make it actual, invisible, realized. I may talk to you about if I'm an artist I may have a concept for a painting. Many of you paint. You have an idea. If I'm a musician, I may have an idea for a song. Bring it to the rest of the band. But until it's realized, until you can show other people, it's just an idea in my mind. And Paul's saying, I don't want the gospel to just be an idea in my mind. I want it to be an idea that's realized. I want people to see the gospel when I speak the gospel, I want it to make sense. When I'm preaching right now, I want it to make sense to you guys so that you leave here not confused, not like, I still don't know what Alan's saying because he speaks too fast and he uses big words. I want you to leave here being able to handle and realize the concepts that I'm teaching to you. So this is what Paul is saying. He's like, not only is there an open door, an open opportunity, but I pray that you would pray for me to speak it clearly. For me to make it manifest as I ought to speak. For me to bring it to life. As a painting is brought to life by the artist. As a song is brought to life by the composer. May the gospel be brought to life by the person sharing the gospel. As God breathes into me a clear message. It's okay for you guys to pray for me. It's okay for you guys to pray for Pastor Lloyd. And this is where we have to also realize that there are some people that don't have the preaching gift. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's, it's just a different thing. But we all have a part to play when it comes to the, te to the teaching of God's word. And so 
when there's an evangelism event, when there's the gospel being preached, as Paul prayed, I hope that you guys are praying for me. If there's a new person here at church, if there's a new person on a Sunday at church when Pastor Lodi is preaching, I hope that you're praying that the message comes out clear so that people can respond. This is really, really interesting. Because maybe you are the, under the assumption that things just happen and whether, whether people get saved or not is just based on like the circumstances that we can't change. But here, Paul is making an appeal to say, how I communicate and whether I get to communicate is dependent on whether you pray. Do you catch that? Whether I say it in a way that you can understand and whether I even get to say it, get the opportunity, is dependent on whether or not you pray as a people and body of Christ. Right here, what I'm doing right now is not just dependent on me and, and, and the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, I, like, I'm using the Holy Spirit to preach right now. It's dependent on your prayers. It's depending on the prayers of the people out there on a Sunday. The congregation. And that's why Paul says, I'm praying I'm asking you that you would pray for me too, that I would be able to make sense when I preach the word, make it manifest, bring it to life. The second thing that he starts to, to bring up and talk about is how every Christian should walk. Not only are we supposed to be earnest in our prayers, vigilant in our prayers, pray with thanksgiving, pray for an open door, and pray for the message to be clear, but now how to live, what to practice. Not just the prayer, but also the practice for every single Christian. He says in verse 5, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Walk how? In wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Have a wise walk. What does that mean? Well, that means that when you act, when you practice, when you live in front of other people, you should do that intentionally and with wisdom, redeeming the time. Because many of us may be wasting the time, may not be using the time that God's given us in the right kind of a way. Evangelism, all that means is to give good news. That's it. Whether you're a Christian or not Christian, everyone is an evangelist for something. And you're always evangelizing. If you are excited about your favorite band, and your favorite band is Five Seconds of Summer, and you cannot help but repost and tag and comment all over, you are evangelizing for Five Seconds of Summer. If you are obsessed with cars... And you can't help but talk about what kind of engine you're, is underneath your hood or what kind of car you wish that you had. And you're talking to strangers out on the street about their cars. A person you've never even met before. You have something in common. Oh, man, you got a car too. Instant connection. For me, if you're half Asian, it just brings up conversation sometimes. You're at the, you're at the checkout lane, literally. At the checkout lane, people just go, what are you? Like, I'm a human? This happens to me all the time, actually. And so when I said, we were evangelizing last night, we, I met a half Asian. I was just like, so, so like, are, are we like, you know, both half Asian? It's like, yeah. It's like this camaraderie that happens sometimes. 
But everyone is an evangelist for something. We'll always talk about the thing that motivates us and drives us the most. But when you witness, witness is something that you are before it's something that you do. I've heard it said before. To witness is to be someone before you reach someone. It's something you are before it's something that you do. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses, us, uh, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ amongst those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. You are diffusing a fragrance. To some people you will stink. You will offend them because you are preaching a gospel that is in direct opposition against everything that they believe. When you're preaching the gospel, it should be offensive. You know why? Because you're saying, yeah, uh, by the way, you're, you're wrong. If you pursue your dreams and they're not of God, you're going to be miserable. Yeah, you want that acting career. Yeah, you want that singing career. You want to you be a doctor. Listen, if, if it's not Jesus Christ, it's not going to fulfill you. And some people will risk their entire lives, their entire careers. They'll base everything to get that job, to get in, in, into that, that circle of friends or whatever. And what you're saying is you are wrong and it will be offensive. So sometimes you have to be willing to stink, but to the, the people that are perishing that want to know Jesus Christ, it's the, it's the sweet fragrance of life. It's offensive to try to save someone who doesn't think they're drowning. If you're out at the beach and a person is swimming and you throw them a life raft and you make all this hubbubaloo about it and you're just like, reach for the raft. The person's like, I'm just swimming. I'm fine. You can't save a person who doesn't think they need saving. They'll fight. It might actually be dangerous if you tried picking up that guy and bringing him back to shore. He doesn't think he needs saving. But to a person who feels like they're at their limit, they're about to go under, that life raft is a lifesaver. Literally, no pun intended. Blaise Pascal said, we should make people wish the gospel were true, then show them that it is. Do you live your life in that kind of a way? If only the gospel were true. If only it wasn't about my effort. If only it wasn't about me trying to attain things. And then someone comes along and says, Jesus Christ attained everything so that you can be free to just accept his free gift of salvation, no matter who you are. Redeeming the time, redeeming the time, redeeming the time. Here's the thing. I watch a lot of you, after you graduate, start to waste the time. You go off to college, Maybe you're like D.L. Moody in that first example, who said, right before Jesus comes back, right before I die, then I'll, I'll give my life to him. Right now, I just want to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I just want to enjoy what everyone else is enjoying. It looks like they're having a lot of fun. So I want to go out there and experience what everyone's talking about. Listen, you are headed for a really dangerous and terrible road. But because we don't see it, we don't see the fruit in pursuing Jesus We'll settle for less. We are like Jacob and Esau, and we'll 
jump at the next thing that looks and resembles food because we don't believe that things of God are really worth waiting for. We'll be Esau and we'll trade our birthright for a bowl of stew that's temporary and fades away in a matter of hours. Just because we want to latch onto the next best thing. But listen, the things of God are always worth waiting for. If you're single and you feel frustrated and you feel like you won't ever find the one, I got news for you. Jesus Christ can provide any person if he's provided for all your needs. He can give you that right person if you would only hold on and you wait. You wouldn't settle for less. If you're a person who says, I don't know, maybe she's not a believer, but you know what, maybe she could be. I'm just going to date her anyway and see what happens. You are playing a very dangerous game. And the worst part about it is you won't even realize how dangerous it is. The book of Proverbs talks all about it. The strongest people have fallen because of sexual sin. Not the weakest people. You don't see the weakest people, the weakest links on television about how they fell into sexual sin. It's the most prominent. It's the most famous. It's the people that no, no one would ever su suspect in religion, religious leaders, whatever. We got to be on guard. And listen, I've wasted a lot of my college years. I didn't read as much as I probably should have. I didn't pray as much as I probably should have because I didn't believe God was really going to use me in a special way. So maybe that's you too. And listen, you're not, it's not like you're discontent with your life at all because your life's great. I wasn't really necessarily discontent with my life and up until like I was 21. And I realized the end of some of the roads that I was going down. But because you're numb to it and because you haven't realized the good things that God has prepared for you, you're willing to settle for less. But can I just ask you to redeem the time the days are evil. The time is short. Walk in wisdom. Let your life so shine before men that they would see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father in heaven. Can I just challenge you to challenge yourself and say, you know what? I don't know what would happen if I completely surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. But I'm willing to find out. You know what? I don't know what it would look like for a person to completely give up anything that re resembles sin, anything that defiles your conscience. But I would like to know what it's like to walk around with a free conscience. And there have been times in my life and there's, there's times that you, you can just walk in peace knowing there's no known sin in your life. And it's the most amazing thing that you can experience. Or you can walk around with that snake around your neck and say, yeah, yeah, I still struggle with pornography. Yeah, I still struggle with that sin. I still smoke dope every now and then. Or you can be set free and say, I want to experience the freedom that Jesus Christ has for me. And I want to live that out so that Satan cannot hinder the work of God. So that I'm praying every day. My prayers won't be hindered. Satan is winning a war right now in the Northeast. Because all the Christians get to be really complacent so that the work of God is hindered. And people don't think prayer means anything. People don't think evangelism does anything. So no one actually does anything. They just live their lives in a, a basically Christian way throughout college. They don't go to church. They don't get involved in a group. 
They start drinking here and there and do whatever they feel like doing. And then when they're 25, 26, then they start coming back to church because they realize the road they went down was not the right road. So do you want to live a life that from age 16 to 25, you just completely can throw it in the garbage because it's worth nothing? Or do you want to say, one, when I was 16, I made, I made a choice where I said, Lord, I believe that when I pray, things happen. You said if I asked for anything in your name, you would do it. And by faith, I can move mountains. Lord, I believe that your work is not done here in the Northeast, and I want to see thousands and thousands of people get saved in my lifetime. I want to know what it's like to be a person who's so sold out for Christ that his life just shines before men, and people say, there is something different about you, and I want to know what it is. A life like that doesn't come easy. It comes by being on your knees every single day and saying, Lord, I just want to be used. It doesn't take effort. It doesn't take work. It just says a person who's willing to believe. Redeeming the time. And then let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. What he basically says here in a paraphrase by Barclay, one of the commentators, is let your speech always be with gracious charm, seasoned with the salt of wit, so that you will know the right answer to give in every case. Our, our speech, when we talk about Jesus, should be out of experience. It shouldn't be this kind of like intellectual laziness that comes out. It's just like, I believe just because it works for me, man. My parents grew up in the church and that's why I believe in God and you should believe too. Uh, even though your parents don't believe, you probably should because they should be my parents. Not like we're brothers and sisters, but you know what I mean. Like you should have good reasons for the things that you believe and you should be gracious, have charm, enjoy it, and speak from experience. When you share Jesus, it shouldn't be something that you're really working on, like really trying to figure out what has God done in my life. I don't really know because I've never really asked him to be the Lord of my life. It should be something that you're just, man, let me share Jesus with you. You won't always feel like that, but you go out and do it, and God uses what you got. You won't always feel witty, but people try really hard to be really smart and really dumb things. What I mean by that is you will be an expert on all these dumb facts about people whose fame is transient and fading. You'll know everything about your favorite actor, everything about your favorite musician, everything about a person who will not be famous in 10 years. All these facts. Do you, know, do you know a thing about Jesus? Would you be able to share him with someone else? Be witty about it. And if a person asks you a question, know how to answer each one. So listen, here are the two things very basically that Paul is saying right now. This is what, is, what God, I believe, is saying to us as a church, as a youth group. Two things. Pray, practice. I want you to pray for an open door, continue in that prayer, right? Continue earnestly, be vigilant, be wakeful, be watchful with thanksgiving. Pray for an open door. Pray that I make sense when I preach. And then that you would practice, that your walk would be wise, redeem the time, and then when you talk, you actually make sense too. But that's something that only happens by prayer. Coming to youth group, being intentional, saying, Lord, I want to learn everything I can. 
I'm willing even if no one else follows. Though none go with me, still I will follow. So help me, God. I want to know what it's like to be called, loved by God. Not because of my works, just because I wholly surrendered. I want to, at the end of my life, hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me end with this verse in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 17. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That's a great commission for all of us. Everyone look up here really quick. Here's where we're going for 2015. Like I started off in that opening illustration. Who knows if the next person you speak to about the gospel could be the next D.L. Moody. Who knows if you're D.L. Moody? Who knows if you would have such an influence on this generation? Who knows if God could use you to be a voice into a wicked world? I'm telling you, where the darkness is great, the light shines brighter. And we have a unique opportunity and gifting and ability to go into our generation and make a difference. Listen, if we, if we come to youth group and we're like, you're always mad at me because we don't play games as much as we should. There's nothing more fun than learning about Jesus. There's nothing more fun than learning his word. And so sometimes I forget about the games. Because I'd rather do stuff of eternal value. Doesn't mean we're not going to do games and stupid stuff and have fun. But those are things that we could do without. The essential thing is learning about Jesus Christ. So this year, I'm praying big so that now that we've learned and we've proved that prayer actually does make a difference. And then when you pray for me, lives can get changed. When you pray for your unsaved family members, you don't give up. People's lives can be changed forever. I'm praying this year, 2015, that God would open a door for me to preach at Oldbridge High School doing one of their public school assemblies. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I believe it. And I hope that you're praying for me too. Because I don't know what I'd say in front of 3,000 kids. But I know in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000 people got saved because of one sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And by golly, it can happen again. The question is, are you praying? Are you watching? Are you waiting? Are you believing? Do you have the faith that those kinds of things can still happen? I want you secondly, besides that, I'm going to give you a sheet of paper that you can hang on your wall, in your room, whatever. It says, I am praying for 3,000 teens in 2015 to hear the gospel. So that you can remind yourself to pray every single day. 3,000 teens, 2015. Wouldn't that be the most ridiculous thing ever? That, that doesn't happen, especially in the Northeast. It's not about me. But you know what? I'm here. Might as well do the best I can. So I'm praying that you guys pray for me too. Underneath that, it says, this year I pray that. And then you can put personal prayer requests for yourself for 2015. Prayer goals. I pray that I'm consistent in my prayer life. I pray that I'm consistent in my reading. I pray that I get to see one person saved this year. I pray that I lead someone to the Lord this year. You can write all any, anything that you want. And underneath that, it says, my personal verse for 2015 is, 
I'd like for you to think of a life verse, like a theme verse. Search the Bible, search the scriptures, and keep it the main thing for 2015. Just for your reference, I put a verse underneath, 2 Chronicles 2015, that says, The battle is not yours, but God's. So 2015, 2 Chronicles, the battle is not yours, but God's. You just got to remember, this ain't our fight. This isn't about us. It's about Jesus. And if it is about Jesus, we already have the victory, and we can thank him in advance for what he's going to do. Amen?